Hey, you're listening to the Bramley Baptist Church podcast. We're glad you're joining us to listen to this week's message. Whether you're starting your journey or looking to strengthen your walk with God, we believe that God will speak to you today. Let's get into the Word together. Well, listen, I've, uh, I've never been much of a handyman, uh, but I've had to learn out of necessity, uh, mostly because I, I hate spending money. And so if there's a way that I can fix it and not have to pay someone to fix it, I'm going to figure it out. Amen? Right? Like, like thank God for YouTube. Right? Uh, but if you're going to fix something, the most important thing is you need to have the right tools. And not just have them. Uh, you need to know how to use them. In fact, as I started repairing things around my home, uh, I realized I actually had all the tools I needed. I, I just didn't realize what they did. I mean, how important is it to know how to use a tool properly? I mean, imagine just going up and down the aisles of Home Depot and just throwing these tools in your bag, bringing them home, putting them, putting them up, up on your garage wall. You're in, you know, they look so nice. You have no clue how to use them. I mean, it's, they'd be useless to you. I mean, think of a chainsaw and not being, knowing how to use a chainsaw properly or a circular saw. I mean, if you use a tool improperly, it could be deadly, dangerous. See, I think of that's the point that, that Paul is driving home for us uh, in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. He wants us to know that, that the law of God that has been revealed to us in the Old Testament, well, it's meant to be a tool. And, and that's important to know because he's been talking an awful lot about grace as we've journeyed through Galatians. And rightfully so, because these Galatians, as we've seen, are, are, are turning to a gospel that talks about earning salvation, earning justification by the law. And, and so with Paul talking about grace and not the law, here's the question that they would ask. Well, what about the law? How does God's law fit into salvation? How does the law of God fit with the gospel? And that's a great question, isn't it? It's a question that Christians often ask uh, even today. You see, some would say, some would be to the extreme, and they would say that we are still bound to the law, that, uh, that we have to obey the law. And yet some would be on the other end of the extreme, and they'd say, well, we can just disregard the law. It was only to the Israelites. It's, it's, non, it's, it's not applicable to us today. And so which one is it? Do we still have to obey the law, or, or can we ignore God's law? Well, that's the question that Paul's going to answer for us this morning. What is the role of the law in the Christian life? What is the purpose of the law? And so look with me this morning uh, at Galatians 3. If you have your Bibles or your devices, uh, I'm going to invite you to turn there and look with me. Uh, we're going to be journeying through Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 15 to 29. But just, just for our sakes, I'm going to read uh, the crux of it, uh, which would be in verses 19 to 29. And if you have it, I'm going to ask it, you'd stand in reverence to God's word with me this morning.
Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 to 29. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until faith would would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is God's word. You may be seated. So if you're just joining us, we've been uh, journeying through Galatians and we've found out really the theme of the whole letter. Uh, we've, we've looked at it kind of briefly the last couple of weeks. Uh, we said if we, we looked at chapter 2 verse 16, this is, that is the crux upon which this whole letter is built upon. It's the hinge upon which this letter swings. Paul's thesis statement is simply this. In in Galatians chapter 2 verse 16, it's this. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. If we're going to know what's going on in this letter, we need to remember that that's the whole argument here. This is the argument that that Paul is making. It's how you, how you and I are justified before God. Is it obedience to the law or is it by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And justified, remember, is a, a legal pronouncement of innocence before God. The reality we've seen is this, that, that each and every one of us stands before God and we are all guilty of breaking his law. And the question for you and I is, how can we make it right? Do we even have the ability to make it right, to, to make it up to God for breaking his law? And there is a group of teachers in this church saying to these Galatian Gentiles, in essence, you have to earn your forgiveness before God. You have to gain it through the law. And Paul has been saying that's impossible because we are hopelessly lost and tainted by our sin. The only way to be justified, the only way to be made right before God is by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, trusting and depending on that faith that Jesus has paid my debt of sin and fulfilled my punishment at the cross, and it's finished. And I think Paul made a a persuasive argument in the first half of chapter 3. Right, remember his argument? I mean, he said, we know that a person is not made right by God, by the law, but by faith. Why? Because he says, well, this is how we all came to Christ. Remember that argument? 
He took the Galatians back and he said to them, just, just tell me one thing. How was it that you were saved? Was it because you obeyed the law or was it because you heard the gospel and you responded? And we know the answer. The answer is we came to salvation because someone shared the gospel with us. We put our faith in the gospel and we were saved. And then Paul turns and he says, and isn't this what the scriptures teach? Remember that? He pointed them to the scriptures. And he so brilliantly uses Abraham, the father of faith, as an example. When God made Abraham a promise and he went to Genesis 15 and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And it says that Abraham hears this promise and it says he believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. And Paul's point is, well, there is no law then, Right? Abraham wasn't justified by the law because the law wouldn't exist for another 400 years. And it wasn't by circumcision he was made right because he wouldn't be circumcised for another 14 years. This is nothing new in other words. God has always, always, always justified his people by faith from the Old Testament all the way through the New. Now we would hope as we come to the second half of chapter 15, that would, that would put the matter to rest. But Paul is anticipating that these Judaizers, they're not done yet. They've got a, another question, and he's anticipating their argument. So their, their argument would be something like this. Yes, yes, okay, Paul. Okay, you got us. Abraham was justified by faith. We'll grant you that. But once the law came through Moses, all of that changed. And once the law came, Paul, righteousness now came through the law. But Paul, I mean, he's had this discussion before, right? I mean, he's a, he's a, a master. He's a master at debating. He knows the argument. So he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not how it works, right? That's not how legal agreements work. And that's the argument he goes to in our passage this morning in verse 15. He says this to them. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a, a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, I don't know if any of you have done much with, with contract law, but let me tell you why that makes sense to me. Because I grew up in, in Windsor, and Windsor is a union city. Windsor is driven by the auto industry and, uh, the, the, and the feeder plants around there. They all feed into the big three. So, so you would hear this kind of talk about, about contracts and ratification of contracts all the time. So this is how it, it would work. The union would be working with the company to come to an agreement. And before the agreement has been ratified, either side can propose changes. It's called the negotiation phase. But once, this, uh, once the company and the union agree to terms, the contract becomes ratified, meaning it's sealed. It's a done deal. There's no more negotiations. There's no more changes. Nothing else is added. The deal is done. The contract, the agreement is ratified. And that's Paul's argument. 
why salvation still comes the same way that Abraham received it. Because that agreement, that covenant that God made with Abraham has been ratified. That is, it is sealed. And in fact, if you read on in Genesis 15, you see that Abraham falls into this deep sleep. He has this vision of this covenantal ceremony that seals the covenant. And it says at the end that on that day, God made a covenant with Abraham, it was sealed, ratified, not to be changed. Paul sums his argument up in, in verse 17. Look what he says there. He says, this is what I mean. This is my point, he said. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. He's saying, brothers and sisters, we don't do this when we make legal agreements. It's unethical. Once a promise has been sealed and ratified, you, you can't change the terms. And if we wouldn't do that, if we would consider that unfair and unethical, why would we think that God would do that? Therefore, the law that is given 430 years after this agreement with Abraham does not void it, does not change it. God has always justified his people by faith the same way that Abraham is saved is the same way that God saves you and I by faith in his promises. But that would bring the inevitable question. Paul asks it for them in verse 19. You see it just the first four, four words. Why then the law? What's the purpose? Why did God give the law? Especially if we can't be saved by obeying the law, and, and especially since you and I know we have no chance of keeping the law, then why do we have the law? It's a question that many ask even today. Okay, the law was good for Israel, but what about us as New Testament Christians? How, how does it fit into our salvation? So here this morning... Maybe even to start, some of you are asking, what is this law that you are talking about? You're talking about the criminal code of Canada? When we see the law in the New Testament, generally it's talking about the Torah. It generally speaks of the, the moral revelation of God given to Israel. It was God revealing in the Old Testament what was good and what was evil, what behavior was acceptable in the sight of God. The best example of that would be, well, the Ten Commandments. I'm sure we all know what the Ten Commandments are, right? And the reality is this is that even if you didn't know God's law, you are still under God's law, whether you realize it or not. In fact, God's word tells us this, right? In, in Romans chapter 2, it's such an important verse. It should be up there on the screen for you to read with me. Romans chapter 2 says this, that when Gentiles, that is you and I, non-Jews, non when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they don't have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. What Paul is saying is that each and every person, every one of us has been given a conscience. 
You know that voice that tells you when something is wrong in your head or that sense of guilt that you feel in your heart? The question is, how do you and I know that instinctively? That something is right or wrong. There are things we know. No one has to tell us instinctively. We know that's wrong. Where did that come from? The Bible tells us that God has written his law on our hearts. Even if we don't know the law. God has placed his law and he seared it on the consciences of all humanity. Even as we examine human history, we look at major civilizations. Most of them, if not all of them, have some kind of moral law that reflects God's law. It tells us, it tells us the same thing that God's law tells us. That it's wrong to steal or lie or cheat or kill another human being. And the law, whether it's written like the Israelites or it's seared on our consciences, in our hearts, Paul's saying it can't save you. So we ask again, why then do we have it? Why did God give us his moral law? Well, here's the first reason I get from our passage this morning. Here's what the law is designed to do. It's a tool. It's designed to do something. It's designed to reveal and restrain sin. That's why God's given us his law, to reveal and to restrain sin, right? Notice verse 19 again. Paul says, why then the law? His first statement, it was added because of transgressions. In other words, it was added because of sin. God gave us his law to deal with the issue of sin. Now, the law can't deal completely with sin, but it can at least restrain sin. It's the reason why we have laws in our society, isn't it? It's not as though we always obey the laws, but imagine if there was no law in our land, right? Imagine the chaos, the disorder, the anarchy there would be if we had no laws in our society. Imagine if there was no consequences to our actions. I mean, sometimes the only thing keeping you from knocking someone upside the head or running them off the road is the law. Maybe, maybe that's just me. <laughs> but this is why God has given us his law in our minds, our hearts. That sense of right and wrong within us, it it restrains us from doing whatever we feel is the most satisfying in that moment. It's the reason he gave the law to Israel. The law, this was his people coming together as a nation and they needed order and they needed accountability just as much as any nation. And this is why God has placed his law on the hearts of all people. Imagine if we didn't have a conscience that can convicted us, that told us that certain actions were wrong. The same reason that we have laws in our societies, the same reason that we have rules for our homes and our classrooms, our work sites, the same reason we have laws that govern life is the same reason God has given us his law, to restrain, hold back sin. But not only does the law restrain sin, here's what it does, it reveals what sin is. It reveals to us what is good and what is evil. I mean, think about this. We drove on the 401. I'm confessing this morning. We drove on the 401 and we did not follow the speed limit. (laughs) Sorry, Ali. 
you see that 100 kilometer an hour signpost, and that signpost is doing two things. It's restraining people from going as fast as they want. I mean, no one listens to it anyways, but imagine if it wasn't there. So yeah, that sign is restraining the drivers from driving as fast as they want, but it's also setting the standard. It's revealing, hey, this is the standard. This is what is required. And if you go over that, you are technically breaking the law. And this is what God's, God's law does for the Jews in the Old Testament. This is what God's law does on our hearts and our consciences. It reveals to us that this action that we are doing, that we are involved in, is contrary to a holy God. It reveals for us what sin is, right? Paul says in Romans, how could I know that it's wrong to covet unless the law told me it was wrong? The law, it, it reveals what sin is. And that's we could because it, it sets the standard and we need the standard. It puts healthy boundaries in place. There's a reason, there's a reason we know that a line is crooked. How do we know? Because we put it next to the straight line. We say, that line's crooked. It needs to be fixed. But here's what else it does. By revealing what holiness looks like, it has this inevitable consequence of revealing how, just how short you and I fall from holiness. If being right with God requires keeping the law, if, if his law is what holiness and righteousness looks like, we're in big trouble. Big trouble. But praise God for the second purpose of the law. The law was called to restrain and to reveal sin, but, but when we understand God's law, it will point us to Jesus. The law points us to Jesus because there's no life in the law. There's no life in obedience to the law. There's only life in Jesus. I get that from Paul's statement there in verse 21. Do you see it there? It says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. The problem, let's be honest, it isn't the law. The law is good and right. The law is not contrary to the promises of God. No, in fact, it elevates the holiness of God by revealing his standard. The problem is that these Judaizers are misusing this tool that God has given them. They are telling the Gentiles that salvation comes through obedience to the law. They were using the tool the wrong way. The law of God was never, never meant to give life. It's what Paul says, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But it's not because it can't. All that it does, all that it can do is tell you what life looks like. It's like holding up a picture and saying, this is what righteousness looks like. Ah, but you can never make it. It tells us what it looks like to live in relationship with God. But it doesn't tell us how we can have a relationship with God. All it can do is tell me that you're wrong, you're wrong, but it never tells me how I can get right. It tells me that this is the mark 
You can't meet it, but it never empowers me or saves me and transforms me to meet that mark. That's the problem. The law, it cannot produce any lasting change in anyone's life. Because even if I obey the law, it doesn't mean that I have life. Listen, I can even conform to a law just out of obedience, but that law can't change my heart. You know, there's a law out there that says that every paycheck, I got to give this much money to the government. I don't like that. But I obey it. But my obedience to the law does not necessarily mean I agree with the law. Do you see The problem with mere obedience to the law is you can obey the law but still hate the God who created it. You can restrain from stealing but still long to steal. You can be faithful to your spouse but lusting and longing in your heart. You can be kind to your neighbor but envious towards them. The law can't give life. It can never produce a true inner righteousness. It falls short every time. In fact, Paul talks about us being held prisoner, captive. Do you see that there in verses 22 to 23? It says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. See, trying to be righteous, trying to have a relationship with God just by obeying the law, it doesn't give us freedom. It actually does the opposite. It it causes us to feel like prisoners and held captive. Because we're captive to our own sinful desires and our own sinful tendencies. And so we, we live in guilt and shame. It's, it's a prison. And I can look to the law and say, I want to obey you. I want to do it. But how? How do I do it? But the law can't show me how to do it. It just tells me I must do it. There's no life. There's no help. It's only command. But faith, Paul says, it was to point us to faith. Faith, the promise of righteousness, Paul says, comes by faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. We realize how hopeless it is. The law drives us to the feet of Jesus because we're looking for life in the law, but we can't find it. We can't find righteousness and holiness. And the more we try, the more we fail. So so where do we turn? Where do we go? Who can deliver us from this prison? Jesus. Only Jesus. Jesus comes to this world and he does on our behalf what we could never do. In that he fulfills the law on our behalf. He perfectly lives out the law in obedience. And that by faith is credited to our account. And not only does he live out the law, but he pays my penalty that is due for breaking the law. He goes to the cross and he lays his life down and his payment for my sin is credited to my account. And it doesn't stop there. By faith, he makes his home within me. 
His very presence lives in me, and his spirit causes me to grow and to walk in obedience to the law and the will of God. The law points us to Jesus. We have to know that. When we realize, when we finally realize that there is no life in the law, we turn to Jesus, the one who frees us from this burden of the law. So then what about those of us who are Christians then? So the law has revealed to us what our sin is. It's driven us to the feet of Jesus. But what about now? Well, I, think, I think the best way to put it is the law serves as a guide. Right? The law serves as our guide in that it shows us how to live in relationship with Christ. Uh, we see that in, in the next verse there, verse 24. It says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Paul says the law served as a guardian of people until Christ came. And the image he wants us here, we gotta go back to Roman culture to really get what he's trying to say. That word for guardian, or some versions will say teacher, it comes from the Greek word underneath that is pedagogos, where, where we get the word pedagogue from. And in Roman culture, especially in wealthy families, they would have a servant who was a, a pedagogue for their children. And this servant, for a season, would work with their children, and they were in charge of their children to teach and to discipline them. They taught them the manners and the customs and the traditions and how well-respected people acted in culture. And this servant would even be able to discipline the children in order to teach them. But they would only teach them to a point when they would become accountable for themselves. And this is, this is the image that Paul wants us to have. This is the point that he's making about the law. The law was like a pedagogue to us in that it was meant to teach us through very strict ways how to live in obedience to God. But Christ has come, and he is our teacher. And yet I think that in some sense, the law still serves as a teacher, as a guide. Especially for new Christians. I mean, you come to Jesus and you wonder, well, what does it look like to live in faithfulness to God? Well, well, we can start with what God has clearly commanded us. To have no other gods before him. To worship no idols. To treat other people with respect. Not to steal or lie or cheat. Honoring our neighbors. Not desiring what is theirs. By having a day set aside, dedicated to worship the Lord. By honoring the name of the Lord. I mean, you get it, right? No, no, your, your relationship with God is not determined on you keeping those laws, but, but they're a guide, a teacher to demonstrate, to show us what God desires of his people. I don't know about you, but we have, we have simple rules in our house. Simple rules that we have in place uh, for our kids. And these rules, these guidelines that we give them, they're, they're not arbitrary rules we don't give our kids rules to wield authority over them. In fact, we love giving them freedom. You know, I love telling my kids, yes, I hate having to tell them no. But rules that we have for them are not meant to restrain or hinder their growth. 
In fact, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? We have rules to help guide and to nurture and to protect and to teach and develop our children into responsible adults. Does that mean they always follow the rules? No, they don't. And there are consequences, they'll tell you. But the key is, the key is this. The rules don't define our relationship with our children. Our love, our our care, our relationship with our children does not hang in the balance depending upon how well they're keeping our rules today. The rules are a guide, not a relationship keeper. I think that's how we're supposed to understand our relationship to the law of God. Here's what it comes down to. And here's what Paul ends on. I mean, if there's one thing that we can say about this, it's this. It's, it's the Christian life is to focus on the promise and not the law. That's, that's what we keep our sights on. Focus on the promise and not the law. And I think that's why Paul has bracketed this passage the way he has. Notice, he, he, he ends this passage the way he started it. He's focusing on the promise. He started by focusing on the promise that God gave to Abraham, and he ends with that same focus on the promise. So so I I think it's focus on the promise, not the law. The promise of adoption. I mean, we see this wonderful, wonderful promise to us in verse 26 and 27. It says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's a title there, the the sons of God. And maybe that throws some of us off because we wonder, are there no daughters of God? But understand what Paul's getting at here. It's included. Daughters are included in the sons because the son is a title. It's a title given that any father could give to anyone, even those who were not their sons. It was given to those who were chosen to be adopted into their family with all the rights and privileges that come with being a legal child. It comes with an inheritance. And that's what we're meant to see here. Paul's saying, focus on this promise that God has given us in Jesus Christ, not the law. The law has its purpose, but there's no life there. There's there's no promise. The promise comes by faith, and by faith in Christ, you and I have been adopted into God's family, and we are his children. We have a new identity in Christ. We've been baptized, that is united, immersed in Christ. He lives in us and through us. Focus on the promise. And here's what's so glorious about this promise. This promise tears down barriers. Right? Do you see that? It doesn't matter who you are or what you are. Notice how Paul says that in in verse 28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying it doesn't matter who you were before you met Jesus. It doesn't matter what race or nationality you are. It doesn't matter what class of society you come from. It doesn't matter what gender you are. You are all one in Jesus Christ. I love verses like that. 
I love verses like that because it brings out, it, it emphasizes for me just how much this world needs the gospel. Just how much the gospel is the answers to the greatest issues in the world today and of all time. You know, we hear a lot about equity and equality nowadays, don't we? We hear a lot about racial justice and social justice and gender equality. And these aren't new issues. I mean, we've been trying to solve this issue of racism and sexism and classism for generations. And the answer the world seems to have is, well, let's just make more laws. Let's just change policy. Let's just change procedure. Let's just have more protests. We need social change, they say, so let's make social justice laws. But the issue is just what Paul's saying here. Laws don't change hearts. Laws, protests, policies don't change hearts. There's no life in the law. There's no life in the law. The issue, it isn't a legal issue or a social issue or a clash issue. It's a sin issue. It's an issue of the human heart. You can change laws, but laws don't change hearts. You can change policies, but you're still going to have any justice and inequality. As long as this world is filled with sinful people, you will have inequality and injustice. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, it deals with the root of the issue. The gospel of Jesus Christ tears down barriers and walls that society has failed to for generations upon generations. Because listen, this is what was going on in the first church. Out in the world, there would be division, and we see that today. Out in the world, the Jews would think that they were better than the Greeks, and the Greeks would think they're smarter than the Jews. Out in the world, the free people uh, had a better life than slaves. In the world, women were treated as property and disrespected. But then you came into the church. And when they came into the church and became a part of the family of Christ, those barriers were torn down. You would walk into a, a first century church and you would see Jews worshiping arm in arm with Greeks and treating each other as brothers. Slaves were honored just as much as the rich. Women were treated fairly with dignity and respect not because of policy change or laws, but simply because Jesus Christ had changed the hearts of these people. He opened their eyes to see that no matter who we are in Christ, we are all one. Tell me the gospel isn't the answer for the issues of the world today. When we come into a church like ours this morning and see representation from all races, all ethnicities, all classes of society, men, women, and children worshiping alongside each other as equals, as family, as children of God. That's what the gospel is all about. Focus, focus on the promise, not on the law. 
That's what Paul would have us take away this morning. The law, it's a tool. It, it has a purpose. It's a tool to, to restrain and to reveal sin. It's a tool that, that points us to Jesus. It's a, a tool that serves as a guide. But there's no life in the law. And if you're using the law as a tool for life, it's dangerous. It's even deadly. Life True life comes to those who are willing to trust solely on Jesus. All the promises of God are in Christ. Thanks for listening and making us a part of your walk. We encourage you to take today's teachings and apply it to your life. Challenge not only yourself, but those around you. Our support in your journey does not end here. To hear more messages from all our series or to speak to someone to help grow your faith, visit us at brandley.org.